nursing industry is one of the fastest growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you're in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. Hi, this is Leanne Meyer, and I am so happy to be back live again this week. And I just really want to thank everybody for tuning in. This has been just really um, so encouraging with all the people that have been listening and sharing this with other people you know, colleagues, friends, family, all of that. So I appreciate it very, very much. Today's show is uh, the future of global health, and um, people in healthcare have more than they know what to do with keeping up with news in their local areas and about their own specialty area. However, we also must know about the things happening around the world. And uh, the world is facing multiple health challenges. These range from outbreaks of vaccine-preventable diseases like measles and diphtheria, Uh, Even in the United States, we're seeing measles back again, Uh, increasing reports of drug-resistant pathogens, uh, growing rates of obesity, physical inactivity uh, to the the health impacts, uh, environmental pollution, and then also climate change and multiple humanitarian crises that seem to be coming up even more often than ever before. Ebola and, and the SARS-like infections that we've been hearing about um, lately are, are a good example of some of the things that are currently uh, very, very important. I'm talking today with two guests um, about world health, and they have each invested years to this work. So Billy Rosa uh, is... Um, has a long string of alphabet soup behind his name, so he has been working very, very hard uh, studying and learning and uh, contributing to this field. And Dr. Sheila Davis uh, will be here to enlighten all of us on the new realities of world health, uh, especially through the organization that she works with um, uh, partners in health. So, um, Billy, can you uh, share a little bit about yourself, how you decided to get into nursing, and then what brought you to World Health? Sure. Thanks, Leanne, for having me. I'm very excited to be here with you uh, and Sheila. I, uh, I am a third career nurse, actually. <laughs> um, I came wow. to nursing after a previous career in theater. I had graduated from NYU Tisch School of the Arts. I was a, I was a dancer for many years. I had actually uh, broken my hip, uh, wasn't walking for a long mm. time, and ended up in massage therapy school just to kind of find a, a healing environment, uh, relearn about my body and, and this instrument that I had broken, um, and mm-hmm. really was blown away by the clinical outcomes uh, in the massage therapy clinics with, with patients with so many different chronic diseases that I really started mm-hmm. to think about how I could make a a greater contribution? How could I do this in a really formidable way to improve the well-being of people? And went right from massage therapy school um, and work as a massage therapist into nursing. And so I've been a nurse for 10 years. I worked at the bedside in critical care 
for four years at a major New York academic medical center and then became a nurse educator for all of those critical care services within that institution and really just uh, kept coming or, or having conversations rather about global health and global opportunities and had an invitation to apply to work as a part of uh, a program called Human Resources for Health in Rwanda, East Africa. And that was Mm. a program that was started by the Rwandan Minister of Health in partnership with uh, 16 academic medical centers and nine schools of nursing, some schools of public health and dentistry. And really, that was a seven-year program that was seeking to increase the number of nurses and physicians in Rwanda, improve the quality of their education, and and really decrease dependence on foreign aid over those seven years. So I was there for one year, um, and I can talk a little bit more about my work uh, there later. Okay. And All right. Coming back to the States and uh, work in palliative care and working on my PhD now. Wonderful. And I heard it's very close, right around the corner. March 3rd, did you say? (laughs) I did my dissertation on March the 3rd. It must feel so good to be this close, unless you're still working hard to finish up. Yeah. Um, And as far as the comment about learning about your body, I have often thought that especially dancers really should be learning more about bodies and how they work so that they're not overworking or they're not breaking them. As you say, I've known so many dancers that have just been ruined by not really understanding how their body works. Yeah, learning about so, it is one thing, and then, you know, doing 17-show-a-week contracts is another Right, <laughs> right. Uh, that's kind of like uh, with nursing in general, we should know more about the effects of not getting enough sleep and, you know, uh, doubling back and all of those crazy things that we do. So, Dr. Sheila Davis, um, can you also share a little bit about what brought you to nursing and then what brought you to global nursing? Sure. So I entered nursing school right out of high school. I grew up in rural Maine and um, started, entered a bachelor's program. And during, that was during the middle middle of the 80s, right, when HIV and AIDS was becoming mm-hmm. more and more of a known issue in the U.S. So became mm-hmm. involved in the HIV community in Boston as a nursing student. And then HIV and the AIDS, the AIDS community put me on a, a different career track that I never would have anticipated um, and ended up working in the field of HIV um, for still to this day, um, but I diversified a little bit in the, in the past decade or so. But through my work in the U.S., worked um, at a, on an HIV and a dedicated unit in the 80s, worked at inpatient at the National Institutes of Health, worked in the D.C. prison system, worked in a variety of different places, all in, in the HIV field, and then moved back to Boston um, mid-'90s and became an adult nurse practitioner and worked at Massachusetts General Hospital in the Infectious Diseases Unit. And while there, um, money started to flow more into where the heart of the epidemic was, which was in Africa, and through mm-hmm. my job at Mass General, started working globally in HIV um, around 1999 and had become active in a nursing organization, the Association of Nurses in AIDS Care, which still to this day is my my nursing community, and uh, worked at at, uh, Mass General and was seeing HIV patients full-time as a clinician and then also doing work 
in South Africa and other countries in rolling out um, HIV treatment. Then in 2010, I joined Partners in Health, uh, which is a, a large uh, NGO or non-governmental organization where I continue to work to this, to this day and, and happy to talk more about Partners in Health as well. Sure. Um, Kind of both of you are an example of uh, career is what happens while you're making other plans. It just uh, seems to be so interesting, you know, how how history or we don't, you know, at the time it's happening, we don't necessarily think of it as history. uh, But suddenly it um, seeps into whatever it is that we thought we were planning and suddenly we become a part of something new. But that's part of what makes it all exciting and especially exciting about nursing because there's just no limit. There's no one direction that you have to go to be a nurse. It's almost as as many um, uh, uh, ideas as you might be able to come up with that um, you could do just by having a nursing background. So I really like to encourage people to do that. Um, in fact, while we're on that with the uh, Partners in Health, uh, Dr. or Sheila, I guess I'll call you going forward, uh, would you like to talk about that organization? I was not familiar with it until I looked up what you were doing. Yes, thanks for the opportunity. Um, so Partners in Health is a, a non-governmental organization, as I said. Um, we started in the 1980s in Haiti, um, and our founders was Dr. Paul Farmer, um, and Ophelia Dahl, who were young people who met in Haiti, where they had both gone um, to rural Haiti in the 80s to learn about health and just kind of explore, and ended up meeting. And from there, a organization was started, um, and Dr. Farmer at that point was started medical school, so he went back and forth. So we're a, a social justice organization that... Um, it fights injustice by providing health care. So I think we're, we're a combination of sometimes described as a global health organization, sometimes we're described as a social justice organization, but to me the, the best description, I think, is, is fighting injustice by providing health care. So we work currently in 11 countries in the U.S., including, I mean, in the world, including we work in Navajo Nation in the U.S., and we um, uh, partner with local governments, and we are providing comprehensive health care from community health workers to health clinics to district hospitals to teaching hospitals, the wide variety of a comprehensive model of care. Also work on the global scale of trying to influence global policy around HIV and tuberculosis treatment, as well as global oncology care, um, we have about 17,000 employees globally, and um, we're based in Boston, but our, that's where our, our support and coordination site, but as I said, we work in 11 places around the world and really have a, a phenomenal um, exchange of cross-pollination of people from Liberia working in Sierra Leone and people from Rwanda and Lesotho, mm-hmm. et cetera. So it's, it really is a, a great think tank in terms of addressing global inequities. Um, and I'm very privileged and honored to have worked there for the past 10 years. Wow, that is amazing. So now you are uh, currently the chief clinical operations and chief nursing officer. Is that right? No, actually, now I'm the chief executive officer. So oh, I had been that. That's right. And then in... Just this past July, I was named the chief executive officer, so I became the CEO Wonderful. in July. So the first so then, CEO, um, which is exciting. 
So your globe-trotting days, maybe not uh, not quite so much. No, actually, just as much. Um, now, oh, just a little bit much. of a different focus, but um, now definitely I'm also in Geneva and different places, um, but um, I'm traveling also throughout the U.S. as well to talk about partners in health and to create partnerships with different academic institutions, but also spend quite a bit of time throughout uh, the globe at all of our care delivery sites. Wonderful. Um, I've already talked to Billy about Nurses International, but I'll have to talk with you too. Um, they're also nonprofit and trying to work uh, globally, especially with low resource countries. So um, uh, the person who started it is Miriam Chickering, and she's been on the show now, I think, three times. Uh, I'm just fascinated with um, what the ideas that are in her head. Um, Billy, let's go back to you. I'm really fascinated with you being so currently working on your PhD. What are the things that you are you have been working on uh, and will be talking about shortly on March 3rd that you'd like to share with everybody? Sure. So um, one of the things that I didn't mention earlier is that a few years ago uh, when I came home from Rwanda, I completed an interdisciplinary palliative care fellowship as a nurse practitioner uh, at Sloan Kettering in New York and um, have continued working as a palliative care nurse practitioner. So I bring that background to this research that I'm doing at the University of Pennsylvania, um, also working on my Master of Bioethics at the same time. And so that research is really focused on how patients prioritize their beliefs around their pain medicines or cancer pain mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and how those beliefs predict their adherence behaviors to their prescribed pain medicines. Mm-hmm. And particularly in the U.S. with the, with the opioid epidemic, which uh, certainly is a global issue, um, but in the U.S. in particular, we talk a lot about systemic and policy initiatives uh, for better opioid monitoring and prescribing practices and you know, a lot of the guidelines, um, many of them, there are, there are aspects of that conflict each other. So from a clinician and systemic perspective, we're all kind of clear on the initiatives and research that's evolving, but we know very little mm-hmm. in the research about how patients, you know, what patients think, their primary concerns, their beliefs, how those uh, factors predict their right. analgesic-taking behaviors. So um, and- I'm very excited about the research because it just kind of, Gives it shed some light on this area, right? So you can go forward and and explain uh, what you will be doing. I understand that you will be doing a TED Talk uh, coming April fourth. <clears throat> so right after you yes, get, do your dissertation, you get to go out and talk some more. <laughs> <laughs> I can talk the paint off a wall. So um, yes, yeah, it will be at. Um, at the University of Pennsylvania, it's TEDx Talk. Uh, people can go to the website TEDxPen.com, uh, and I think tickets will be on sale in early February. The it will be on April fourth. Uh, Ten speakers speaking on a number of topics. I'll specifically be talking about uh, palliative care as a human right, and really that aligns with the call for universal access to palliative care for all people everywhere. Um, really advocating that every clinician is, in fact, a palliative care clinician because that holistic approach to palliative to patient care that palliative care provides and promotes um, is really what we are trying to do in the healthcare system. So I'll be talking a little bit about that and how we can work to alleviate that global burden of suffering uh, in the world. So, 
So a question for both of you. You both talked about, um, you know, uh, Sheila, you were talking about um, health justice and some of those things. And and now, Billy, you're talking about that this should be an international human right to be able to have um, palliative care. Uh, And, of course, palliative care, uh, keeping people comfortable in whatever disease uh, that they are encountering. Um, I'm wondering how much you get into politics of whatever uh, um, country that you're in or maybe in the organization. So, Billy, first, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I think that's an excellent question. I think, um, you know, one aspect of palliative care in particular um, is not just ensuring comfort, but also optimizing function and quality of life um, in the context of whatever serious or chronic illness that a person has and that uh, a given mm-hmm. family is stressed by, um, particularly, you know, when we look at even, to give a concrete example, opioid disparities, Sheila mentioned disparities earlier, um, there was a recent report from the Lancet Commission where they really dove into, um, when you look at how the International Narcotics Control Board um, kind of divvies up opioid distribution internationally, we see places like the United States exceeding our per-person milligram of morphine need by over 3,000%. And then we look at places wow. like Nigeria Nigeria and West Africa, for example, or Haiti, where uh, Partners in Health is working, and we see that they, that they meet less than 1% of their national need. Oh, um, so I think... There, there's multiple factors there. Of course, politics is a factor of it, but a lot of it is education, um, opio- opioid phobia, all of the misnomers about opioids, um, and again, looking at these policies and guidelines that drive pain management. So when there are discrepancies in those guidelines um, and people are using those guidelines to make policy, it really requires additional conversation in the professional sphere, but also additional empirical research to validate um, the, the effectiveness of opioids so that we can decrease those disparities. Right. So um, I think that that's that brings up a whole bunch of other questions for me, but we actually are at a place where we should probably take a break. So Sheila, when we come back, I'd love you to talk about your aspect of what kind of political um, things you have to step, put your toes into. Uh, so this sure, is Once a Nurse, great. Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I am Leanne Meyer, and I'm here today. We're talking about the future of global health, and I'm here with Billy Rosa and Dr. Sheila Davis, who have both been working very extensively uh, with global health. Listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Now there's a new destination for video content. VoiceAmerica.tv. Just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7. VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. If you like what you're hearing on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, consider supporting the show. In the one year since the show started, we've increased our listening audience by nearly 7,900%, and our goal to reach 50 countries and counting. 
Whether you are looking to reach a regional, national, or worldwide audience, you'll have a competitive advantage by advertising on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. It's the perfect platform. Contact senior executive producer Tacey Trump today at 480-294-6421. That's 480-294-6421. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has a mobile app for iOS, Android, or Amazon Kindle. Visit the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Welcome back. And uh, again, this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I'm Leanne Meyer. And we've been talking about the future of global health with um, Billy Rosa and Dr. Sheila Davis, um, both of which who, who have been working uh, in world health um, uh, care and supporting world health uh, uh for extensively for a long period of time. So um, Billy Rosa was just telling us previously um, about uh, his work with uh, palliative care and then also some of the opioid uh, kind of things that are happening. And I was asking about political input. So uh, Sheila, could you share with us, uh, you had said you were working, um, that the company you're with had started out in um, Haiti. And we know the corruption and problems there have been in Haiti for a long, long time that um, care and service just doesn't seem to get to those people who need it at the bottom of the pyramid. Um, can you say a little bit more about that when you're trying to make some inroads with health care? How much politics do you have to get involved in? Yeah, so we're, you know, we are, we partner with, with local governments and ministries of health because we, we believe that it's the way to changing the dynamic of inequity is, is partnering and having the decision-making power be with the people who are going to benefit from that. So we've worked in Haiti uh, and for many years, as I had said, and definitely is a complicated place, but I have to say we've made huge strides in Haiti, that often doesn't, you don't hear about that on the news. And our big mm-hmm. hospital in Haiti, the Mirabelle Hospital, 300 beds, 
that was built post-earthquake. We just celebrated oh. the 10th year post the kind of tragic um, earthquake in Haiti, and this hospital was built. Um, the construction started only seven months after the earthquake, wow. and we just found out uh, last week that uh, we received um, accreditation through the um, uh, ACGME, so a, a recognition of what is, uh, what locally. is that? AC, so ACG it's, uh, the Accreditation Council for Graduate Medical Education. So it, it's in the U.S. The are you know uh, academic medical centers are accredited. So every large uh, academic medical center is accredited to be able to have residents, et cetera, be trained there, and that's you have to um, pass a very thorough long-term assessment to show that you're providing quality clinical care and have uh, good faculty and oversight. And so um, we applied for uh, this, the international version of this, and um, we just found out last week that we did get this, and there's only um, is seven other countries globally, um, other facilities that have this designation. So it's exciting that Although Haiti has had challenges, you know, much much of, of which is because of decades and, and um, centuries of, of, you know, structural violence to the right. country and the people by outside forces, not within Haiti. But notwithstanding mm-hmm. that, it's, it's a lot of good is happening in Haiti. And the, this, these residencies that we have at this hospital, you know, 98% of the graduates of the residency programs are staying in Haiti. So when people often say, you know, is it sustainable to work in a place like Haiti, it's exciting to be able to point to the Mirabelle Hospital and show that these are, are the young people who are the future of changing the health in Haiti and really improving quality care. So we're, we're definitely excited and, and so proud of our, of our Haitian colleagues for um, even in the middle of a lot of political strife have, have moved forward and, and created this you know, beacon of hope for uh, medical training. And we also have a nurse anesthetist training program. We have neonatal training there. Um, all, all the faculty, all of the students are from Haiti. So it's an, an exciting example, I think, of where we have expertise around the world. In terms of being involved politically, we're, we're, we're not a political organization, but obviously advocate on the global scale for um, funding for HIV treatment and funding for uh, tuberculosis treatment. We um, were instrumental in fighting for partnering with other large organizations and fighting for the price of HIV medications to be um, affordable globally, which really impacted the HIV epidemic. So I think we're, our, our method is to prove it can be done and show those models and then advocate showing evidence um, about uh, that, that care can happen in really low resource um, settings. And um, the, mm-hmm. kind of the, the priority is that we're all working towards funding these things together and providing expertise based on what the countries themselves want and are prioritizing rather than focusing on U.S. or mm-hmm. European interests in those countries. Right. I know there was tons of money that went to Haiti and then was redirected away from the people's needs. So was this this hospital out of all of those funds that people were sending at the time of the the crisis? I'm I'm forgetting, was that an um, earthquake or was it a tsunami? It was an earthquake in 2010. So... 
quite a bit of money went to Haiti, and we actually, our group, we have a, a small group uh, that worked as part of the um, UN, because uh, Dr. Paul Farmer had a U.S., um, had a United Nations special envoy um, position, and, you know, less than, I think it's 1% of the funding that went to Haiti during, after the earthquake, actually went to building up the, went to the Haitian government. It went to small NGOs, it went to large NGOs, it went to big U.S. and other um, uh, big entities, and a lot of it never actually even reached the island. It stayed within wow. big contractors around in Washington, D.C. and other places. So I think, you know, when, when we look at, um, which I've learned quite a bit, I, you know, as a nurse, I never had thought that this would be my job, but this is a huge part of my job of delving into this and deconstructing mm-hmm. what donor aid looks like and the problems of it and also re-educating people that, um, you know, to make sure and ask the right questions about when they're donating to different entities, where does that money actually go? And I think the, the most people initially, um, you know, blame the government for, for um, things not happening when in actuality I think what we're finding from this extensive research from the Haiti earthquake as well as post-Ebola in, in Sierra Leone or Liberia that the, uh, a lot of that money actually never even gets to the country um, and mm. is often um, paid for, pays for large other, um, you know, big machines that are, are global health machines that don't even impact the care, but more are yeah. funding U.S. Um, right. entities so, uh, European entities. So I think that is one of the worries that so many people have when they go to donate. Uh, there's so many people asking for money right now, and especially with the political uh, things that are going on, um, it's really hard to know where to put your money. And so when, especially in a crisis like that, when people were seeing the results on on television and, you know, really feeling for the people, and Billy also with Rwanda, um, I'm not sure where that crisis was by the time you went there. Was it already starting to, uh, they were pulling themselves together, and, and it seems like they very quickly were able to get back to some form of normalcy. So talk just a little bit about it. When you came there, were they still in that process, or was it already pretty much moving past that? Oh, no, I think they were very much past that. I was there 2015 to 2016, so... Okay. Um, you know, I think there was some uh, social unrest in the late 90s, maybe the early 2000s. But but I think the, the global economic and, and infrastructure investment in the country from a global perspective has been pretty profound. Um, I think in the wake of that crisis, the world really, you know, a little late, but um, it came to the table yeah. to give aid um, to the country. Right. So, I mean, they are the... Um, just the, the transportation infrastructure. I mean, their healthcare system, when you think mm. about it, was completely, mm-hmm. just absolutely destroyed during the 94 genocide. So I think it's estimated right. somewhere between 700,000 and a million people were killed over 100 days of the actual genocide. <sighs> and of course, that that genocide was in the wake and, and during a four-year civil war and after decades of mm. other uh, smaller acts of genocide. Um, so... Mm-hmm. Th- to see that one million people were killed and another two million were displaced, um, they, they still, uh, you know, the country still f- is dealing with the consequences of some of that displacement and some mm-hmm. of the refugee camps around Rwanda. But overall, 
how the country has evolved and put together a, a functional healthcare system and various ministries of health and education, um, et cetera, is really just, it's, it's mind-blowing. So maybe that's an example of where those funds and uh, donations really went to work in the place they were supposed to? Mm-hmm. Well, not only that, but also real innovation, I think, in program development. Like the program I was there for, Human Resources for Health, um, you know, a part of it was capacity, uh, the focus was capacity building, and that was not just in healthcare and for healthcare workers, but also for the Ministry of Health itself. So the ministry was responsible for um, all of the monies involved in that program. Um, they really brought in stakeholders and were responsible for those relationships. So Rwanda took control of that program. I think it's one of the things that Partners in Health does really well, right? I mean, they're really um, focusing on mm-hmm. um, establishing and promoting local leadership in all of the countries where they work, which is so impressive. So it's not just mm-hmm. taking, you know, U.S. or European people and putting them in positions of leadership. It's developing leaders in these um, in our partner countries um, so that um, they are the ones uh, that are at the decision-making tables in terms of program development. Sure. Um, Sheila, I, I want to kind of have each of you also answer um, where you think the, the largest healthcare crisis is in the world right now. I mean, do you see one area or is it spread across many areas? So Sheila, could you answer first? Sure. You know, I think that there's, you know, there are improvements in some um, global statistics, but I think what we're seeing, which is alarming to me, we also see in this country, is that there's a growing disparity or, or growing inequities so that um, there's, the poorer are poorer and having worse health comes, um, and the, the, the span between the have and the have-nots has really um, expanded. So the bottom of the, the people who have the, are the poorest have um, very poor access to health care. So their, their life expectancy, their um, you know, rates of cancer, rates of, uh, rates of noncommunicable diseases, mental health, you know, every kind of spectrum continues to um, be really abysmal, but yet there's also great advances we have in, in the world in terms of genetic medicine, in terms of, of so many exciting things. It's just that, unfortunately, we're not, the, the whole ship is not rising together. There's, there's mm. even more of, of a disparity. So I, I don't, I can't think of one particular place, for example, but I think there's, um, we are, we are definitely, um, have a situation where there continues to be a, a large number of a percentage of people who really have very little access to care. And so maternal mortality continues to be a, a huge issue right. in many places that Partners in Health works. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, these are all preventable deaths. So I think we we're, have to continue to figure out how do we not leave people behind and continue to build capacity in those places so that we're not mm-hmm. just celebrating the advances in, in clinical care, which we need to continue to push, but that we're also providing universal health coverage or universal health care to everyone. And as you said, Billy had mm-hmm. mentioned this before, health is a human right. If, if we were able to, even in this country, say that health was a human right and people have access to quality health care, we would all benefit greatly as a global community. 
So, um, Billy, what is your thought? Uh, if, is there one place that you're thinking of that it really has major crisis or needs to be focused on right now? Um, so I would piggyback on Sheila's answer. I think that no matter where you look, whatever specialty you're looking at, clinical specialty or field in terms of education or research or policy or clinical practice, no matter where you look, the health inequities are the, are the issues. And, and those inequities are just getting uh, more substantial over time. And it's, and it's quite literally in every domain, as I mentioned. So um, I'm working mm-hmm. on an international policy report right now with the World Innovation Summit for Health. Um, and it, it's a report that's been um, called for that will focus on nurses and midwives and their role in global health equity, where we're focusing primarily on the social determinants of health. And mm-hmm. I, it's going to be an amazing report, I think, but it's really helping people to understand um, that wherever they're working uh, in the community, in the public health sector, um, there are these major inequities and these social determinants that we can work on improving. I think one other mm-hmm. thing I'd add is the, the, crisis, the crisis of health equity, I think, is worsened by uh, one of the things that I think is most substantial, which is the workforce issue. So we just simply don't mm-hmm. have enough enough workforce. And even there, we see the disparities creep up. So the Global Health Workforce Alliance um, from the World Health Organization has said that by the year 2030, um, there will be, uh, I, I believe it's an 18 million healthcare worker shortage worldwide. Um, now, there's going to be all of these jobs created primarily in, in high-income countries, but the biggest part of the deficit is going to fall on low- and middle-income countries. So, again, as we see the need continuing to develop, we see the poorest countries suffering the most um, in terms of the hands they have to deliver care. So it seems like universally this uh, whole thing that we're seeing in this country, and it's popping up in other countries, too, that the haves have more and the have-nots have less. Um, It seems like that's a crucial part of you know, how do we change that that um, focus? It has to be, I think it has to come from the top down because uh, the people who have not are pretty clear about the problems and the people who have don't seem to get that the choices they're making are going to impact the well-being of everybody worldwide going forward. This is maybe a good place to take another break. So we will do that. This is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I'm Leanne Meyer. Today we're talking about the future of global health, and I'm talking with Billy Rosa and Dr. Sheila Davis, both of whom have a tremendous amount of experience uh, working in this area. We'll be back in just a couple minutes. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. If you like what you're hearing on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, consider supporting the show. In the one year since the show started, we've increased our listening audience by nearly 7,900% and our goal to reach 50 countries and counting. Whether you are looking to reach a regional, national, or worldwide audience, you'll have a competitive advantage by advertising on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. It's the perfect platform. Contact Senior Executive Producer Tacey Trump today at 480-294-6421. That's 480-294-6421. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. 
Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now. To showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event, visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Welcome back. And again, this is Leanne Meyer. I am so happy to be able to talk about this subject with my two guests. Uh, We are talking about the future of global health, and my guests are Billy Rosa and Dr. Sheila Davis. Um, One of the things we wanted to bring up is, of course, this year, 2020, is the World Health Organization's Year of the Nurse and the Nurse Midwife. And so, um, uh, Billy, would you be able to talk a little bit about the nurse midwife aspect of it? Uh, we know that there, uh, again, are, are frightening statistics about what's happening in uh, healthcare for women and particularly healthcare for women of color. Yes, absolutely. So, um, so as you mentioned, back in December, the, the World Health Organization, the WHO, named the year the International Year of the Nurse and Midwife. Um, and this comes at the intersection of some really interesting uh, historical considerations for nursing. So um, it is the 200th birth anniversary of the founder of modern secular nursing, which is Florence Nightingale, which is very exciting. So there's going to be several, there's all types of leadership development programs uh, run, Nightingale Challenges worldwide, worldwide right now. Um, there's a very exciting global campaign called Nursing Now, which is a three-year campaign uh, run in collaboration with the WHO, the International Council of Nurses, um, funded by the Burdett Trust that's really working to raise the visibility and the profile of nurses and, um, around the world to get them more active in policymaking, um, to get them involved in research and, and positions of leadership. And so when we look at the Nursing Now campaign that kind of sparked this whole year of the nurse and midwife conversation, it's based on a report 
um, that came out of the UK government, um, the all-party parliamentary group, really the triple impact of nursing. When we look at that triple impact of nursing, um, one of the aspects is based on one of the sustainable development goals uh, focused on gender equality. And really, because nursing globally is really a female-dominated profession, um, these campaigns kind of support the idea that by raising this profile and visibility of nursing, we will have a hand in um, improving gender equity across all nations. Um, And thereby, of course, advocating the value of women in culture and in society and, and hoping to make the case that they deserve legitimate care throughout their lifespan, particularly throughout their pregnancies, um, before birth and after birth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sheila, would you like to add to that? Um, what is your organization doing on this topic? Sure, we're definitely, you know, we're nurses globally are, um, you know, more than half of the care, 50% of all care globally is done by nurses, but are severely underrepresented in leadership positions. So, um, throughout all of our partners in health sites, we've we've made a, a effort to um, increase the, the visibility of what nurses are doing, and also look where we can provide mentorship and um, training for nurses to be able to step up and take the um, leadership positions. Uh, Viola Carunja, who's um, who Billy knows well because he has worked with us and helped us at our site in Liberia around palliative care, was just named the deputy director of our, our country site in Liberia, which is the first time that we've had a nurse be um, either executive director or a deputy executive director at uh, one of the partners in health sites, which is exciting. So at, at each of our sites, we're doing different ways of illuminating what nurses are doing and um, the, lead, the nursing leadership within those countries are focusing on how they can promote nursing within their um, organization and also working as part of their country's efforts. So I, I think this is a, a great time for us to reflect on really the, the power that nurses have globally and as, as the, the caregivers and also where we can push to make sure that nurses are also in the highest leadership positions. This often takes quite a bit of a challenge and investment in, in nurses and giving them the confidence that they have these, these skills to be able to lead. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm hoping that this focus on 2020 is, is opening people's eyes to see where nurses can play larger roles. It's very rare to have nurses be a lead in, 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 in uh, non-governmental organizations such as Partners in Health, there's very few nurses in the World Health Organization in leadership positions. There's just a few, so we're, we still have a long way to mm-hmm. go. Um, but this mm-hmm. is a, a certainly a step in the right direction that the World Health Organization has proclaimed this year. So I'm hoping we can take this um, momentum and, and keep it going. That seems to be what I'm hearing a lot from nurses is uh, let's make sure this is not a year of talking and and make sure that it's at least partially a year of action. So many times we can get into the talking and then when it comes to the action part, it kind of peters out. So um, I think the people, as you have described, those people that are really doing that work really, really want to make sure that we can make use of this year. Um, 
So, Billy, I'll go back to you. We just have like a minute or so or a couple of minutes here. Um, Could you share what is the most important thing if there was just one message you could get out to worldwide healthcare um, people and nurses, what would it be? I think it's I think it's to remember that local is global. So that has been, I think, the backbone of everything I've been doing to understand our interconnectedness, to understand our role as global citizens. Uh, that's where all my work with the Sustainable Development Goals has come in, to understand that every action we take or don't take, the advocacy we push forward or don't push forward, the things we say, the things we keep quiet about, really mm-hmm. has global impact. So when we are working with one patient, one family, we have to remember that that has a butterfly effect to communities. Communities, um, to the public at large, and to people around the world that we may never know. Um, mm-hmm. And it will affect those people in ways that we will never understand. So really understanding mm-hmm. our role as global citizens, I think, is key to um, inspiring the, the rest of the work that we do. Well, that certainly is true in every area of life right now. And I feel like because we're becoming a, a more educated um, society and in our organ in our um, country, but also in in many other countries, that those of us who are privileged to get that education really need to work. We reach back, and as Sheila was talking about, uh, make sure that that health justice and social justice is happening around the world. Sheila, what is most important to you? If you could spend um, a couple of minutes talking about what if there's one message that you can get out to uh, healthcare and nurses around the world, what would it be? I I love what Billy said, so I I won't repeat that, but I do think I would like to challenge nurses to trust themselves and and take a leap of and putting themselves out there for leadership positions that they may in the past have not felt um, comfortable to do or willing to do because you're obviously putting yourself in a vulnerable position. But Mm -hmm. I I think that the only way we're truly going to impact global health care and really address these inequities is having more nurses in leadership positions. And those are are nurses who are in the, you know, the countries and the local areas in which they're working. But I'm hoping that we as nurses can support each other and be promoting each other to um, increase visibility in in what each other can do and promoting and bringing each other along. And also that once you even move up within an organization, and that's why I love the title of your podcast, because many people said, oh, now that you're CEO, you're not a nurse anymore. And I always right. say I'm, I'm a nurse first, and I'm a good CEO because I'm a nurse. There, mm-hmm. um, And I think nurses who move up in organizations sometimes um, don't use their nursing designation, and, and I'm hoping that we can change that dynamic and really encourage each other as leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of the things I keep hearing more and more, and I'm really glad that that is the case, uh, that that nurses are being noticed as being the most trusted profession of all professions. More and more we're seeing that when they do their uh, top 10 uh, trusted professions, they seem to come to the top of that list again and again. And uh, I think it was uh, at least a year ago, a little bit over a year ago, uh, that I had someone on who was talking about having nurses in positions in uh, boardrooms. And I, maybe that is that one of the things you were thinking of, of leadership positions for nurses? Yes. That uh, I'm sorry, Sheila. Leadership positions within organizations, but board representation definitely is a, um, a, another huge place where nurses can have a, a big impact. 
And I think when people think of that, a lot of times they're thinking, well, nurses and healthcare. But what I'm thinking of and what I keep hearing about is nurses everywhere in every boardroom, no matter what the industry is. Um, you know, people who, nurses who may not have thought of going uh, to help out or to give their expertise in an area that isn't necessarily directly related to healthcare, because nurses look at everything differently than maybe other business people might and often just in that environment can put in something uh, that brings in, again, population health or or population equity, health equity, and all of those kinds of things that people may not have even realized were missing um, previously. So um, I wanted you... This is Billy, could I just say a quick thing on this? Yes, go ahead. The Nurses on Boards Coalition um, for nurses in the U.S. in particular, their goal is to improve the health of communities and the nation through the service of nurses on boards Mm -hmm. and other bodies. So your listeners can go to nurses... Uh, nursesonboardscoalition.org and they can actually find mm-hmm. boards that are seeking nurses and they can put their information there so boards can actually find them and I just want yes. to support what you were saying it's just a great <laughs> way to be involved Excellent. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I wasn't remembering it uh, right at the moment so I'm so glad that you came up with it and remembered it um, So we are coming to the end of our show here and so I want to just take a couple of minutes uh, to re um, uh, encourage, I guess, the world. I, I've, uh, this has been such an incredible experience for me to be doing this show and be talking to so many interesting people and hopefully being able to spread that throughout the world. So, um, as I have mentioned before, I recently started a new um, website called onceanurse.com. Uh, I am doing some blogging there, uh, I do a newsletter. Um, some general notes to the world and I'm talking about some of the shows that are going to be coming up as we go forward. Uh, One in particular is a subject that many people have been interested in and that is on um, uh, people that are burning out and people who are feeling like they're uh, being bullied. And so that should be coming up in the next couple of weeks. Um, I also wanted to mention if you'd like to be a part of this program by sponsorship or you know somebody who's looking for a great cause, please contact me at leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Also, you can go on onceanurse.com and there's a way of uh, being able to register there and leave some comments and suggestions. So uh, topics. Uh, people that you think would be good for those topics. All of those kinds of things uh, are very, very helpful as I'm looking uh, for new shows. So for 2020, my personal goal for this um, uh, show, Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, and again with this whole concept of of the year of the nurse, I really want to be a, a part of helping bringing people together who would like to support by contributing to nurses who may not be able to become a nurse uh, because of money, by um, uh, their backgrounds, their uh, um, position in life or whatever that they wouldn't think of nursing or would not be able to pursue it. So please do watch on my once a nurse, always a nurse, um, dot com 
excuse me, onceanurse.com website where we will be putting up a place where you can contribute if that's something you would really like to do. So these scholarships have to help people become nurses who have not been able to do so before. Thank you so much, and thank you for listening. Thank you, uh, Billy and uh, Sheila. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.